0: Awesome. No, it's great to be here uh, with you guys. Renault makes it sound more difficult than it was for me to choose to come down here. How many opportunities do you have to hang out with a six-foot-eight South African who has an accent that nobody really knows where it's from? It's just a strange thing. And so to have that opportunity was a no-brainer for me. Um, Well, it's good to be with you guys. Again, my name is Caleb. Uh, I'm from the South. Right? I'm from Louisiana. It's my hometown, um, my home state. And so, growing up in the South, uh, I maybe have a little bit more traditional background. And so, coming here, you know, you've got the, the super cool, relevant communicators who have the stool and the table, and, uh, and that's just not my style. So, I was talking to Phil, and Phil was like, I got, I got something for you. I've got uh, something I use, it's like a podium, it's like an oversized music stand. And I was like, surely, surely he doesn't really mean an oversized music stand. And then he brought it out, and sure enough, he could not have more accurately described what is the podium uh, and the pulpit here at uh, Mosaic as an oversized music stand. So here we are at the traditional service of Mosaic um, with our pulpit. Uh, It's exciting to be here with with y'all. It's a little daunting for me uh, being the, the first time that I'm here at Oakland is the weekend after Christmas. Right, So we've just come from this, this huge Christmas series. We've, we've had these Christmas Eve services this past week. And, and for many people, these are the, the highlights of the year. And then you then walk out of Christmas and you hit this Christmas lull. Right, this, this, this experience that a lot of us share where Christmas doesn't quite live up to the expectations of what we had hoped that it would be. We've still got a little bit too much ham and dressing and we're still trying to recover from the overdose of tryptophan that we've all experienced. And, and here we are now going, man, that, that just wasn't quite what I'd hoped it would be. Right? And I think that Hollywood doesn't, doesn't help us at all here. It kind of perpetu- perpetuates this stereotype and this image of what Christmas should be. Right? In every Hallmark movie, in every ABC family special, there is a, a storyline that's pretty common across the board. Right? You have a family that's experiencing conflict and, and tension and, and things just continue to build and build. And then right before Christmas dinner, all of the conflict gets resolved. Perfectly. And you sit down at dinner and you enjoy this magical experience with your best friends and your family around a table eating this gorgeous turkey, around this beautifully set table and centerpieces that are just beautiful. And, And you're looking out the window and snow begins to lightly fall outside and and you hear in the background Michael Buble's Christmas CD is softly (laughs) playing and it's this incredible experience and we think okay this year this is what Christmas is going to be like finally it's going to be this magical hallmark experience and then for a lot of us we go through the holidays and actually the the conflict and the tension in our families it often gets worse in the holidays and, and often we, we go in these centerpieces and tables that we've spent so much time working on to get knocked over and the dogs eat them. And the turkey that you spent hours on comes out and you've cooked it too long and it's dry and the, the casserole's a little runny and the kids have taken the Michael Buble out and they've put in the Frozen soundtrack for the 400th time of the year. And let's just be honest, it's 84 degrees outside, it's never going to snow in Florida. And so for us, our experience here for Christmas isn't quite what we had hoped hoped for. But even, even if it was incredible, even if you walked through the holidays and you had an incredible time with your family and you had great food, there's still something in us that is longing for something more. There's still something in us that says, okay, this, if there was ever a time of the year for this world to satisfy the longings of my soul, surely it is this time. Surely it's this most wonderful time of the year that can do that. But for all of us, we, we leave and we go, man, it just, it leaves us wanting more. And so as we walk out of the Christmas season, how should we, how should we be thinking? What should our mindset be as we are now leaving this Advent season? Right? And, and Advent is a word that, that I've heard around here some. Growing up, uh, I didn't hear it much. So, so maybe in your background, you'd heard it, and so maybe you know, OK, Advent, yes, Advent is that time right before Christmas. Right? So it's four weeks or so before Christmas where, where we set apart time to begin to prepare for Christmas, and maybe we light some candles, or we hang a wreath, or we get a calendar where we pull stuff out, that this is, this is what we're doing with Advent. But have we ever stopped to think about why we use the word "advent? Right, why, why that word to talk about this time right before Christmas? I find that for many of us, I, th- I think everyone, we use words in our day-to-day life that we never stop and think, why do we use them? We just say the words, and we know what they mean, but we never stop to think, why do we use those words? It's just some random assortment of letters that we've just pushed together and assigned this meaning to. And so for me, I've had a couple of realizations throughout my life, and most of them have been more recently. And so you may hear this and go, wow, you're kind of an idiot if you didn't know that. But for me, it was mind-blowing and worldview-shifting to see where these words came from. So I'll give you an example. A couple years ago, I was eating breakfast. This flowery and fluffy goodness known as a pancake It usually tastes best with chocolate chips and syrup. There's an international house of them around most corners. And this pancake, I'm sitting there eating, and all of a sudden it was an epiphany. And all of a sudden in a moment I go, wow, it's a cake that's made in a pan. It's a pancake. And then all of a sudden when I had this realization then the dominoes began to fall, and I'm like, cupcake. It's a cake that's made in the shape of a cup. It's a cupcake that's why we're using these words. I've never seen that. So again, maybe I'm a moron and maybe I'm the only one that didn't realize why we're using these words, but but I think we do this often in our lives. I, we do it even in the alphabet. Right? From from the beginning of our childhood, we say the alphabet and we get towards the end and we get to that letter W. But but think about it. W, it's a double U. And so for me, these are the things that I think about whenever I'm bored. These are the things that, that impress me and that change my life as I sit there and think, okay, W, wow, you're at the end of the alphabet. You don't really get much love. You're not a vowel. You're not really special. But wow, W, it's two U's pushed together, W. And I think that often we can do that with, with Advent as well, that it's, it's a word that we use and we know its meaning, but why? Why the word Advent. And so, so I began to look and, and dig a little bit, and I saw that Advent is, it's a word, it's derived from a Latin word, as a lot of our words are, and the meaning of that Latin word is coming or arrival. And so I saw, okay, that makes sense now. So Advent isn't just this random assortment of letters, it actually has a very deep meaning that as we go through a Christmas season, as we go through this Advent season, we are preparing our Hearts. We are beginning to look forward to and celebrate the coming, the arrival of the Messiah. That we are looking forward to the Christmas season, whenever Jesus came, whenever divinity became humanity. And we celebrate and we put ourselves in the shoes of the nation of Israel 2,000 years ago. And we join in with them as they were longing for their Messiah to come and free them from oppression. And we put ourselves in their shoes and we begin to prepare our hearts for this arrival, for this coming, for this advent of Jesus. And so that's that's where we get the word from. That's why we use it. But what do we do now? Right now that we are walking out of that Christmas season, now that we are walking and stepping out of that advent season, what do we do? You see, for the Christian, the Christian lives in an interesting, an interesting space. Because for the Christian, yes, we've, we've looked and we've celebrated the coming of Jesus. And we've, we've already seen all that he has done and what he has ushered in for us. That he has brought this free offer of the gospel. That Jesus came and was born. That divinity became humanity. And he lived a sinless and perfect and blameless life. The life that we could never live. And then he died a death that we deserved. And on the cross, he took on himself the sin and the punishment and stood in our place and bore the wrath of God in our place. That he made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And you see, there's now this offer that he became our sin so that he offers us his righteousness, his perfect life. And it says, if you have faith, if you come, you don't have to bring anything to the table. You don't have to work to earn favor from God if you would just come and believe. Right? The old hymn says that there's nothing in my hands that I bring. It's simply to the cross I cling. And when we have that mindset, then his righteousness and his perfect life is given to us. And this is the hope of Christmas. This is why we celebrate this advent of Jesus. Because Jesus, we see, was born to die, was born to bring many sons to glory, to give us hope and to give us salvation. That he made us sons and daughters of the king. Right? Do you realize how crazy that is? That this God, this holy and perfect and just God who created the universe, right? he speaks things into existence. He breathes into dust and becomes a human being that he created everything. And this God, who is completely separate from anything in this eternity, has now come and he has made us sons and daughters. And we have the privilege and the honor of calling him Father. Do you realize how different that is from most every other religion? That there is no fear, there is no shame, there is now no condemnation, but we can now go to our loving Father. That we were once sinners in the hands of an angry God, but now we are children in the hands of a loving God. And how drastically different that is. And so this is the hope of Christmas. This is the gospel. But again, as Christians, we live in this weird space because, yes, he's already come. And yes, we've experienced salvation and adoption, but he's not yet come again. We live in between these two comings of Jesus, in between these two arrivals of the Messiah, right in the middle of these two advents. And in this already and not yet life, we experience tension, we still experience difficult and turmoil, Right, We still experience the sting of sin that was brought into this world. This world is still broken. And so while we have experienced salvation, we've ex- already experienced adoption, we have not yet experienced that salvation in full. That whenever he comes on that day, whenever he comes again, then he will usher in this kingdom. Then he will usher in this full salvation, full adoption. And all that is broken, he will restore. Fixing broken things is the way of God. And on that day, he will come and restore and make all things new. And so we live in between this already and not yet. We live right in the middle of these two advents. And so how should we live our lives, right? We see, I should, I should long for this day, I should desire for this day to come, but for a lot of us, I think we can often forget about this second advent, right? For, for me, for the majority of my life, I lived a, a very charmed life. My, my life was great. I had a great middle school and high school experience, which is rare nowadays, I, I loved college. I went to Mississippi State University. We actually had a good football team this year, which was shocking. And it was an incredible experience for me. In college, I met the girl of my dreams. She's beautiful. She's my best friend. And somehow I tricked her into marrying me. And I began to be honest with myself a couple years ago. And I, and I said, okay, my life, my life is going really good right now. And, and if I'm honest, I would have to say, that Jesus, if you came back today, I would be a little disappointed. Just a little bit. So, so, so God, here's, here's, we'll make a deal with you, okay? How about, yes, come, come again, come back to this earth and usher in this new kingdom. But maybe just wait 50 or 60 years. Just, just hold on and let my life play out because I'm excited about where my life is headed. I'm excited about the future that you have given me, all the, the comforts of this world, my, my fiance, everything's going. God said, so just let my life play out and then come and then everybody will be happy. And that was my perspective for so long. I, I began to look around at these good things that God has given me. They're not bad but what I began to do is I began to look to them for the fulfillment of my life, for the, for the longing of my soul. And all of a sudden, my story became about me. And my story was no longer focused on what God was doing. But my story became about me and my comfort and my satisfaction. And, and I would be disappointed if Jesus was to come and kind of mess all that up. And so I know it may be weird hearing that from the pulpit, that, that people who are up here preaching have problems too. But listen, we have a lot of issues. And so, so be comforted this morning. If you've come in and you think, okay, church is a place where we, everyone is perfect and I've got to put this face on to have everything together, you don't have to. Right? This is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Right? It's just not okay to stay there. And that's why we come together and we encourage one another. But listen, it is safe. It's a safe place here. You don't have to put on a face. You don't have to try to wear a mask in here. It's exhausting. Come in here and be honest, be transparent. We can do that because we know that, you know what? My life and how I'm viewed, especially by God, it's not made up by what I do. It's not made up by what I have to offer, but it is by what Jesus has done for me and that there is nothing I can do to make God love me anymore. And there is nothing I can do to make him love me any less. And there is freedom in that. And so as we now move out of this Advent season, as we now wrestle with, okay, are we maybe in a place where we're looking around at the things of this world and, and finding satisfaction and longing in there? And, and we would be a bit disappointed if Jesus was to come back. Where do we go from here? How does the scriptures speak into that? So let's dive into your Bibles. If you've got them, go ahead and grab them or turn them on, whatever your preference is. If you don't have one, you can grab one of these guys from the uh, chair in front of you. We're going to be in Philippians 3. So if you have the Mosaic version of the Pew Bible, that's going to be on page 637. Philippians 3, verses 18 through 21. Philippians 3, 18 through 21. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And listen listen to the anguish and the passion in his voice as he writes this letter. For many of whom I have often told you, and now I tell you, even with tears, they walk as the enemies of the cross of Christ. So stop right there. And you see the heart that Paul has for the people around him that don't know Jesus. You see the heart and the perspective that Paul has for his family and his friends and his co-workers and the strangers around him, people who don't have the hope that he has. It brings him to a point of tears. It brings him such anguish that his heart breaks and he is longing to say, I'm writing you this letter, church, these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ. It breaks my heart because they are missing joy in this life and hope in the next. They are longing and searching and grasping for things around them, but they are missing, they are missing the Savior. And it breaks his heart. And how many of us, is that our perspective for the people around us? For me, how is that my perspective for the people that I work with? Does my heart break? God, let it be so that our, that we would have the same view as you do, that we would have the same view as Paul towards people that don't know Jesus. So he continues in verse 19. He says, their end is destruction, and their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with their minds set on earthly things. So again, let's stop here because he uses a weird phrase. Right? He says that their God is their belly. That's weird and doesn't make any sense to a lot of us. And so what, what he's talking about here is he says these people, they are searching after the things that bring them pleasure. They are led by their pleasures. They are on this quest, on this search to fulfill their lives through the pleasures of this world. Their God, what they sacrifice their lives, to, what they are longing for is their own pleasures. Is this not true then just as much as it is in our culture today? Right? That, the, that the moralistic law is that whatever brings you pleasure, then it must be good. And so if it, if it brings you pleasure, then it can't be bad. There's no way. And so go, seek after those things in your life, whatever they may be. And if it brings you pleasure, then it's great. But Paul's saying that all of these things, their end is destruction. That their mind, you see where their mind is set? Their mind is set on earthly things, on things around them. And so it's what we talked about earlier. These things often aren't bad things, right? Often it's, it's, it's good things. Things like family, and jobs, career, money, finances, cars, houses, relationships. But what happens is we begin to look at these good things. It's okay and good to have, but we begin to elevate them from good things to God things. We begin to elevate them to these ultimate things that we begin to look at and we set our minds on them as we begin to try to fill this longing in our soul with the things of this earth and our mind becomes set on them. And Paul's saying, these people, when their mind is completely set on the things of this earth, they are enemies of the cross of Christ and it breaks his heart. So he moves on in verse 20. He says, but the opposite of these people, he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior. And so he says that that we have these people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, but the opposite of that is people who know that their citizenship is in heaven. And because of that, because they know where their home is, because they know they're looking forward to this not yet day to say, when Jesus comes again, he will bring with him our true home. He will fix all that is broken. And in that moment, I will be finally a citizen of the country that I was meant for. And because of that, we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. See, these people, just like us, live in this already and not yet. But they had this mindset that said, I am not a citizen of this world. Right? I'm a stranger and an exile here, but I'm headed home. I'm on my way to my final destination, but I'm not there yet. I've already left, but I'm not there yet. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make, that we are either enemies of the cross of Christ or we have, gra- we have grasped this vision that says, this place, this is not our home. We are citizens of a better country. And because of that, we are longing for, awaiting for the Savior to come. We've already left, but we're not yet there. And so I was thinking, how do we, how do we illustrate this point that Paul's making? What stories in our lives are a picture of this? And I thought back to uh, my brother-in-law who came and visited me about three weeks ago. Now, he came with him, his wife, and their three kids. So they have two twins, Parker. Uh, Ellie and Ramsey are the two twins. They're four years old. And then Parker is a six-year-old. Now, I called my sister-in-law one day because I, I saw a bumper stickers, one of the best bumper stickers I've ever seen. It said that, I'm a mother of twins. I take naps at red lights. And I called her, I said, surely, surely this isn't true, right? This is unsafe, right? This, is, this, is, this has got to be illegal in some senses. And she said, uh, it's kind of true. That's the, that's the moment where finally mothers have a rest at a red light where they can just take a 15 second nap and then that's all you need apparently for the day. Mothers are another class of people as they deal with this, but that is the chance where you're able to recharge at red lights. She said, yeah, kind of true. And so those are the three kids that they have. And they came down on this trip with, uh, with my mother-in-law as well, which is the kid's grandmother. So there were six of them total. And they did, they did the thing with their kids where they didn't tell the kids at all that they were gonna leave and go to Disney World. So kids had no idea. They wake up one Saturday morning, just typical Saturday morning, stumble out of bed, get in the kitchen, and there's a piece of paper on the table. And the six-year-old Parker, he picks up the paper, because he's just now started to read. And as anyone who's had a child that's just started to read, you know that they read everything that there is. And so he picks up this piece of paper, and he begins to read. And it says on there, you're not actually going to have a regular Saturday. You're actually going to Disney World today. And you can imagine, if you've seen the YouTube videos, the reaction from a four-year-old, a four-year-old, and a six-year-old that what they thought was going to be a regular day, now they're about to head to Disney World. So they freak out. They start screaming, running around, convulsing a little bit. They cannot wait to go to Disney World, which is their favorite place in the world. And so they run into their rooms. They begin to get all their stuff, put it into a suitcase. They grab it. They go throw it into the van. The parents make sure we have everything that we need. we got blankets. We've got car seats. We've got, uh, we've got all the toys. And Ellie, the four-year-old girl, like, Every girl has named every single one of her toys. And, and typically, the, the girls get uh, really cute and fancy and princessy with their names. But she has her favorite toy, which is a rabbit. It's a little bunny. And the name of the bunny is, you, can't, you cannot make this stuff up. The name of the bunny is Hopping Down the Bunny Trail. <laughs> never Shortened. No nickname. It is, it is every time, hopping down the bunny trail. So we're getting ready to go. And it's, Mom, do you have hopping down the bunny trail? And so hopping down the bunny trail gets in the car as well. And so they have everything that they need to now get into this minivan and head towards Orlando, right? The parents have mapped out the locations of every Chick-fil-A along the way so that they know where to stop, unless you're traveling on a Sunday and then everybody's out of luck. And so he gets into this minivan, and there's something strange that happens in a man, right? There's a switch that takes place, where for years and years of your life you're dreaming of, oh, if I could have a Camaro or a Mustang, which one do I want? And this one has more horsepower, but oh, this one looks good with racing stripes. And then something clicks. And then you begin to dream about, do I want the Honda Odyssey or the Toyota Sienna? (laughs) I mean, this one has better safety ratings and more airbags, but this one, this one has an in-car vacuum cleaner. So all of the stuff that gets spilled, there's a vacuum cleaner there ready to go. Oh, I've always dreamed of that. And I don't know what it is in a man, but something changes. And so they get into this van in Jackson, Mississippi, and they begin the 12-hour journey to Orlando, Florida. Now, I don't know if you ever traveled with three kids under the age of six, but there are one or two difficulties along the way that come up. And so the, what the parent tries to do once we get in the car, okay, let's just get them as comfortable and as distracted as possible. Right, let's let's get a catalog of movies out. Let's get the DVD player going because everyone has experienced this situation, right? You get into the van, you begin to drive. You're about 30 minutes into the trip, and then all of a sudden, you hear the question from the back seat. Those four ominous words, are we there yet? The question that is echoed across minivans across the country every day. The question that haunts fathers because, because he knows we have got 11 and a half hours left. We aren't close to being there, but I know that I'm going to begin to hear this every 20 minutes as we're going. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And so the goal, what what parents try to do, let's just get them comfortable. Let's just get them distracted. Let's put on movies. Let's put on whatever we can so that maybe they'll just sit in the back. They'll be quiet. They'll take naps. They'll eat their food. They may even give each other massages, and it's going to be a great experience for 12 hours. But that is never the case ever the case. There is great turmoil and difficulty that is experienced in those 12 hours. Right, the, the kids are complaining because they're hot and so you turn the air conditioner down and then about 70 seconds later then they begin to complain because they're cold and so you've got to turn it back up and they complain because they can't hear the movie and so you turn the volume up and then they you realize okay I can't even have an intelligible conversation with the person next to me so you have to turn it back down and they're hungry so you pull into Chick-fil-a one of the ones that you marked out and then about three minutes later you turn around there's Polynesian sauce all over the seats in the back seat, and this is the reality for this 12-hour van ride this 12-hour trip from leaving your home to going to Disney World and so so what what we try to do is in those moments just please please watch the movie please just be comfortable take a nap just get distracted so that you won't complain and think about the hardships that are going on right now and and this is this is the goal and and it, it works wonders Right? I, I, I don't have any kids, but I have six nieces and nephews all under the age of six. I've taken a couple road trips, and I've seen the wonder that iPads and in car DVD players do for children. Right? You, you turn those things on, and in a moment, there's peace. Right? You, there's madness behind you. You hear kids screaming. You feel like maybe their arms are broken. You don't really know what's going on. They're screaming. There's stuff flying everywhere. And all of a sudden, you turn on Olaf, and it's like just like a trance, focused in. Now, once the movie's over, then it gets the craziness gets right back into it. But for a moment, they become distracted. They become comfortable. But one of the things that happens, it's, it's interesting, is that in those moments, when they're so fixed on whatever's on the TV screen, whatever's on the iPad, whatever's in front of them as they're eating, that in those moments, they're so focused on that, that they forget for just a second where they're headed. They forget just a moment that you're in a van going to Disney World. Right? This little movie that you're watching, it's nothing compared to what you're about to experience. And this is what I've seen, one of the things that the enemy tries to do in our lives as well, as we as we are similarly in the backseat of a minivan on our way from having already left and being excited about where we're going. Excited, yes, we're going to Disney World. And we leave and we begin this journey and we're not yet there, that in the midst of this journey, in the midst of this tension and this weird mix of emotions, of excitement and anticipation, of joy and yet disappointment, that we live in this van ride. And what the enemy tries to do is, is typically one of two things. He either tries to make the van ride so difficult that you don't even want to go to the destination anymore. You say, if this, is, if this is what it's going to take to get to Disney World, just turn the car around and let's go right back home. And he tries to, to put bitterness into our hearts. Or what he did with me is he tried to make the van ride so comfortable. And he tried as hard as he could to distract me so that I would focus on these little things around the van that I would forget where I was going. That I forgot how awesome of a place that I was headed towards. I was so focused on this comfort and distractions of this world. And so, what what do we do with that? How can we break out of that? And so it's different for every person. For me, it was it was an experience about two years ago. So I'm in the midst of this, I'm, I'm engaged, everything's going great. I am comfortable, I am very distracted. I'm not longing f- to arrive at the destination, right? I'm, I'm the kid that's watching the movie and, and we actually pull up to Disney World and we're there, but I've still got 15 minutes left in the movie. And I'm like, okay, let's just wait. Let's just park right here. I've still got to see Elsa sing Let It Go. And then when we finish that, then we can go to Disney World. That's where I was. And about two years ago, I was working uh, up in North Carolina. That's where I went to seminary. I was working at Sonic, America's favorite drive-in. There's not many of those down here, but they are awesome. I had a great experience there. My job entailed wearing rollerblades and taking people Eminem Blast. That was my job. It was magical. My my job was to bring people bliss on rollerblades. And so I worked there. I worked my way through seminary. I was an assistant manager there. And as I was working one day, I felt my phone begin to vibrate in my pocket. So I take it out. I look at it. And it's my home area code, but then it's a number that I don't have. And so I just think, oh, well, it's, if it's important, they'll leave a message or call me back. So I just stick my phone back in my pocket. A couple seconds later, my phone begins to vibrate again. So I take it out, I look at it, and again, it's the same area code, but now it's a different number, and a number that I don't have. So now I'm intrigued. I'm like, that's just weird. Right? It's strange that I've got these two calls back to back from numbers that I don't have. So I go talk to my manager. I say, hey, can I step outside real quick and, and see what's going on? I say, sure. So I walk outside, rollerblade outside, and um, I see I've got a, a voicemail. So I click play, hold up to my ear, and on the other end of the phone is my neighbor. He was in high school at the time, and he said, Caleb, it's your neighbor. I was calling about your dad. We're in the car right now. We have your mom. We're following an ambulance. He was mowing the yard when he had a heart attack. And it doesn't look good. You need to come home. And so I, I go and I, I leave Sonic. I, I run home. I just begin to throw clothes in a suitcase. I have no idea how long I'm going to have to be home. I, I'm not thinking clearly. I'm just frantic. I'm sitting there thinking, okay, it's six months until my wedding. I was so excited about him being able to share that with me, being able to, to give the last toast at the rehearsal dinner that he was hosting. I was so excited to move into marriage and, and allow him to meet one of his grandchildren Or going to him for advice when I I try to figure out, okay, should I take a loan out on a car? Should I go the Dave Ramsey style and buy some old used car? Which one should I do? How do I take a mortgage out on a house? What does a down payment even mean? All of these things that I looked forward to and had lined up for my future, it seemed like they were gone. And so I began to drive to the airport and on the way I got a phone call from my mom. And she said, Caleb, he didn't make it. And in a moment, our lives were turned upside down. And we still now, a couple years removed, are trying to get our feet underneath us, living in the wake of something that you don't see coming at all. My father was 59. He was in good health. We didn't see this at all coming. And so I, I get on the plane in Raleigh. And and I leave, and I fly from Raleigh to Houston, Texas, to Jackson, Mississippi, and then to Louisiana, where I'm from, because that makes sense, airline companies. It took 14 hours from the moment that I left Raleigh to the moment that I walked into my front door to see my mom. And in those 14 hours, I just had to wrestle with, God, why? Why would you do this? Why would you bring this into my life? All the things that I had dreamed of are now completely messed up. Why would, you, why would you allow this to happen? And I just kept reading Romans 8 over and over and over again. And there's one verse that I could not move past and Paul writes, he says, for I consider the sufferings of this world not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed to us. And finally, finally I saw this, this pain and suffering that I was experiencing. It was real, it was deep, but it paled in comparison to the glory that's to come. On that day when Jesus comes again, on that not yet day when he returns, that experience will overshadow any grief, any pain, any suffering, no matter how great, it will overshadow any comfort, any distraction, any of the good things in our lives. And God spoke to me and what, what he said in that moment, he said, child, lift your eyes up stop looking at the things around you look at the thing that will bring you true joy the thing that will satisfy the deepest longings of your heart because your best life your best life is not now your best life is still to come and finally i began to see that truth that we live in this already not yet world and we experience the brokenness of sin that still exists and God finally lifted up my eyes from the petty things of this world that I was so fixated on. I was like my nephew, Ramsey, who was in the back of the car. Uh, I called him while they were on their way down. And I was FaceTiming with his mom, who was in the front seat. And so I could see everything that was happening in the back. And I could see him in the back. He was sitting right behind his grandmother, who is re- affectionately referred to as Cece. And he's sitting right behind her. And I could see him craning around looking at the TV screen way up there, and he was trying all that he could to be able to see the DVD. And so I said, Ramsey, what are you doing, buddy? He said, I can't see because Cece's hair is in the way. So one thing about Cece is that she's from Texas. (laughs) And there's a thing known as Texas hair. It's a real thing. It has a Pinterest board. I looked it up. And he couldn't see over this hair, and he was trying all that he could to crane his neck around to see this little five-by-four DVD screen. He was so fixated on it, trying all that he could to try to pull any kind of distraction, any kind of satisfaction that he could from Mickey Mouse Clubhouse. And what I can't help but think is that, Ramsey, I know you're only four, and I know you just want to watch a TV show, but if you could just remind yourself in that moment You're trying so hard to see this little TV screen, but in just a day, you're gonna meet Mickey Mouse face to face. You're not gonna watch this little TV of a five by four. You're gonna be in Magic Kingdom as you're watching this projection show on Cinderella's Castle. So what you're trying so hard for to find satisfaction and fulfillment, it pales in comparison if you will just remind yourself and grab a hold of the vision of what is to come, what you're about to experience, what you're not yet quite there, but what you will soon be. And this is where I was. I was trying so hard, craning my neck, looking over Texas hair, left and right, trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in the things of this world. And I'd forgotten where I was going. I'd forgotten that right now, though I see dimly, then I will see face to face. That I will meet my Savior. And I will fall on my knees and worship in his presence. And he will bring in this kingdom of God and make all things new. And all that was broken, he will restore. And finally, for the first time in my life, I had a longing for that day. I began to say, Jesus, come. Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. My song was no longer, oh, wait, wait, Emmanuel, not yet. But I could now say, come, thou long-expected Jesus. May your second advent come before these plain wheels even touch the ground. Come soon. And what begins to happen in our lives As we see that and we grab a hold of that vision, we go, okay, we are in the back of the minivan, we are on our way to our destination, our citizenship, our home is not in this already and not yet world, but it is still to come. As we see that, right, that's where the analogy kind of breaks down a bit. Because for my brother-in-law and his family, they drove 12 hours to Disney World. And they did the whole week long at Disney. And it was great and it was incredibly tiring. Because I will say till I die, there's no kind of tired like Disney tired. It's just a different kind of monster. And so we did it for a week. But then what happened? They got back in their van and they went home. And for us in our lives, as we are in these proverbial minivans on our way, having already left... And having not yet arrived at our destination, we're not returning. We are on a one-way trip every day, getting one exit closer to our destination, to our Disney World. And as we go, whenever we begin to catch that vision, when we see this, we are headed towards our true home. Our home isn't here. Then the things of this world that distract us, the things in this world that begin to fight for our hearts, the things, the possessions that we have that often possess us, In those moments, what God does is he begins to loose the grips that those things have on our hearts because we say, you know what? I'm not meant for this world. I'm not going to spend all of my energy, all of my resources, trying to make myself as comfortable as possible here. But no, I can now let go of these things because I know that I'm headed for my true home, right? In Hebrews 11, it describes us as strangers and exiles. It says that the people in the Old Testament were desiring a better country, a heavenly one, that that's the same situation that we're in, that we see our home is still to come. We now begin to let go of the things in this world and use them. In leverage them for the kingdom, knowing that as we're in this minivan, we're on our way home, we're not going back. So we can now, there's no point in having all of our money tied up in a mortgage and in cars back home, but we can liquidate that, take that money with us. And as we're going on this one-way trip, begin to invite everyone along the way to say, come, come get in the van with us. We can squeeze in. You know what? I've got this. Let's buy another car. Let's get you in here. Come with us. And we share not out of obligation or out of guilt, but out of an overflow of the joy of the true vision of where we're headed, we begin to bring others along with us using the things that God has given us because we know that we're not here to lay up treasures on earth, but we're here to lay up treasures in heaven, that this is our true home, that we are on our destination. We are in our minivans, having already left and not yet arrived. And so as we go through this life, as we now leave this Advent season We begin to try to mirror the heart of Scripture. As we see how the Bible closes in Revelation 22, the second to last verse of the Bible, in verse 20, chapter 22, author says that he who testifies to these things says. And and this person that's testifying is Jesus. So this is what Jesus says here. He says, surely I am coming soon. And then John, the author, says... Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is the heart of Scripture. This is how the Bible ends, is the longing for this coming again. That yes, Jesus has brought in and begun this process of salvation, but he's not yet completed it. So as we begin to catch this vision that Paul was writing about, we see our citizenship is not on this earth. We have our mind set on things above, not on the things of this earth. We begin to await the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, that in that moment then we see we actually aren't leaving Advent season. We are entering into Advent season as every single day we are longing for for, preparing our hearts for and waiting for the coming and the arrival of Jesus Christ who will come, make all things new and restore all that is broken. And so prayer for us as we leave here is that our cry could be, our song could be, no matter what situation you're in, whether you're in your m- the midst of pain and suffering or if you're in the midst of great comfort and things are going great for your life right now, That no matter where you are, we'd be able to sing together, Oh come, oh come, Emmanuel. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set the prisoner free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time to be able to come together and just look at your word and see the hope that we have through your son, Jesus. God, set in our hearts a longing for that day when he would return, that not-yet-day. God, that you would lift our eyes from the things of this world and that we begin to fix our eyes on you, the author and perfecter of our faith and that we would live our lives in light of that truth that we are on our way home and that you would give our lives that purpose, that mission to bring as many people along with us as we can. I thank you for your son and for the hope that we have in the midst of this broken, already and not yet world. It's in his name I pray, amen.